Medical cannabis. Who knew that a plant could be the cause of so much controversy, discovery, and insight? Whether you're well-versed in the science of the endocannabinoid system, CBD, THC, and terpenes, or whether you're a skeptic curious to learn more about the real-world experiences of medical professionals and patients, we all have unanswered questions about what cannabis does, how it works, and whether it's a safe and effective medical treatment for a myriad of different health conditions. That's why each week on the Cannabis Friendly Guide to Wellness podcast, we'll talk with Dr. Joe Cohen, founder of Holos Health, a medical cannabis expert who over the past 10 years has treated over 25,000 patients with medical cannabis. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Amy Silverman. Hi, I'm your host, Amy Silverman. Have you shopped for CBD products lately? It's confusing. It's not at all like picking a prescription up from the pharmacy. And with so many options and so little transparency, it's hard to know what you're buying without doing hours of research. I've done the research and I personally love Kanakoru CBD products and I recommend them all the time. So these products were designed by a team of experts, including PhD scientists who founded the first research lab at the University of Colorado, and they mapped the cannabis genome, and then they teamed up with some doctors and organic farmers to produce Kanakoru CBD. And this is full-spectrum organic CBD that you can buy online, and you can go to the website and check out their COAs, their certificates of analysis, which show exactly what is in each and every single product. So if you would like to experience the difference of Kanakoru CBD, you can go to kanakoru.org. That's C-A-N-N-A-K-O-R-U dot O-R-G to save 20% off your first order. And you're going to go to kanakoru.org and use the code ILOVEHEMP20 to get 20% off at checkout. That's the letter I-L-O-V-E-H-E-M-P-2-0 to get 20% off your first order of organic CBD. Right. Hi, everyone. This is Amy Silverman, your host of the Cannabis Friendly Guide to Wellness podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking with a special guest about what happens with medical cannabis patients once they leave the doctor's office or once they get their medical recommendation to use medical cannabis, what happens next? Um, we have not really talked about that at all. And for a lot of patients, it's a huge question mark um, because the medical cannabis world is so different than the kind of traditional medical world. Um, we get we get a lot of questions. So today, I'm really happy to introduce our special guest, Mike Okada. And Mike is a cannabis patient advocate, and he has worked in the industry for a number of years in different roles, including as a medical community success manager and a community relations manager. 
So in these roles, Mike has represented both patients and companies um, in the Colorado State MED, which is the Medical Enforcement Division, and that's the regulatory body of and, and the policy kind of making arm of the medical cannabis um, world in Colorado. And um, so Mike is an expert at helping patients navigate the sometimes confusing world of modern medical cannabis dispensaries. And I'm just so happy to have you here, Mike. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah, great. So there's a ton of, of topics that I want to talk about. And the first, the first one is why, why do people get a medical cannabis card nowadays, especially in Colorado, where they can, for the most part, just go to the recreational dispensary? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's a question that comes up in the dispensaries all the time. You know, people might think about, you know, medical cannabis as being kind of a stepping stone in a, in a state's legalization system before they get to recreational legalization. And so that question will sometimes come up by uh, healthy individuals who are there just to use for fun, asking why do we still have a medical side? And the question always comes up too, is everything all stronger over there? And the answer to that's actually kind of yes or no. The biggest reason why a medical patient in the state of Colorado would benefit from getting a medical card, the biggest reason is because the cost of cannabis is much lower. The prices are cheaper. And there's three big reasons for this. The first reason is that the raw prices just out of the gate, just the economy of, of medical cannabis versus recreational cannabis, uh, just the raw price is cheaper. Uh, the second thing is something called membership, which I bet we can get talking a little bit more about later on. But uh, membership gets you cheaper prices beyond just the regular retail price. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, taxes are a bit cheaper as well. So um, in the state of Colorado, there's at least a 10% difference in taxes between the medical and recreational side that's specifically allocated for, um, for cannabis taxes there that medical patients don't have to pay. So that's the biggest reason is that things are a lot cheaper on the medical side for patients, especially if someone needs to use on a regular um, and they have a medical condition, then it's a good reason to be able to get a card in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what we come across a lot in, in our practice as well. Um, mm -hmm. the, the cost savings and it's a significant issue for patients, even when they have a medical card sometimes to be able to afford the medicine that they need. Um, it's not covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so that, that alone is kind of a, a big incentive. And then it, there's some, there's some other things also, I guess, right now related to um, the COVID-19 pandemic that are specific to the medical patients, like medical patients can get delivery in certain places, which is complicated. And I know, and I want to talk more about that, I guess a little later. Um, but I, I kind of also want to ask you, um, like as a patient advocate and as someone who has worked with all these different people um, in the dispensary environment, um, what are some of the most common challenges, like aside from um, the cost of the medicine that, that you work with people to kind of solve? Yeah, the the besides cost besides the just the raw cost of uh, of what cannabis is and how can i make this a feasible therapy for myself uh, for the long term besides that the biggest challenge that we re that we come across in the stores is education and i'm sure you guys at holos uh, experience this a ton too yeah, there's so much information about cannabis using cannabis as a medicine effectively requires a lot of knowledge in 
in kind of understanding the common pitfalls, how cannabis as a medicine, as a drug is different from other drugs and how patients can take advantage of some of those, uh, some of those differences and definitely the biggest things that they need to look out for. That education, patients usually come into the store um, expecting something similar to like maybe what you'd find on a Tylenol bottle. Uh, take it, take this many milligrams, uh, wait every this period of time. They expect it to be more simple than that. But besides, of course, the fact that cannabis uh, ingestion and all those different things are so much more complicated than Tylenol or even alcohol. Um, besides that, there's so many options to choose from. There's, it's, they come into the dispensary thinking that cannabis is one drug, but it's actually so many different drugs. And uh, the yes. wide spectrum of, of medicines that are there uh, for them to choose from and to, to think about, that gets really complicated really quick. So usually, uh, even if a patient comes in pretty well prepared that there's a lot of learning that they need to do, they usually get a little overwhelmed when they come into the dispensary. So. Yeah, no, that that's a huge, huge area that um, we do a lot of work with too. And I really love how you phrased it that medical cannabis is not really just one drug. And it's not, it's not just one substance. It behaves differently whether you ingest it, whether you inhale it, whether you put it topically on your skin. And we've got a whole episode about that um, so that people can kind of get that education before they step in the door at the dispensary. But I have to be totally honest here and tell you that I've been in this industry for a lot of years and I still have that feeling of overwhelm and like, what? I don't understand what this is. Like sometimes when, when you see something in dispensary, it's just like, what, this doesn't make any sense. And I've, I've definitely had that experience. So I can totally relate to, um, people who are new to this. Um, cause if the, if the, the experts are confused, then like, it's not, it's not just you, <laughs> it's confusing. And I kind of want to talk about that. Um, because, so I was talking to my mom, um, earlier this past week and she was in, um, Massachusetts, where they have uh, recreational as well. And the only other place where she's been in a dispensary has been in Colorado and the recreational side. So she went into this dispensary in Massachusetts, expecting it to be similar to what she knew in Colorado. And she said, it was nothing, there was nothing the same. And the language was different. And I don't understand why we can't just standardize the language so that people don't get confused. And I was like, that is an amazing point. And I kind of wanted to ask you about that. Um, from your perspective and kind of you, you started to talk about it with the labeling of products and the dosing instructions or the lack thereof on certain products as well. Um, and I'm not sure if you, if you want to speak to that at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. The one, so uh, prior to being in the cannabis industry, I spent six years as a pharmacy technician in pharmaceuticals. I was preparing to become a pharmacist at that time, but I never, I never made it down that path. It, pharmacy wasn't the right fit for me. But the, the thing that I carried from pharmacy to cannabis that was really surprising for me was that almost everything in pharmacy mm -hmm. is dosed in milligram per kilogram. It has a very, very mm -hmm. succinct uh, dosing methodology to it. The indication lists are very short. And, uh, you know, using, a, using medicine effectively in pharmaceuticals is completely different than using it effectively in cannabis. Milligram per kilogram just doesn't work for cannabis. Uh, we've had plenty of instances, I'm sure you guys have seen too, where this big old football player, a guy 250 pounds at least, has a tolerance of 2.5 to 5 milligrams. And then this little old lady that might be less than 90 pounds, uh, who's never used cannabis before, might have a tolerance that's up 10 to 15 yeah. milligrams, which is just unheard of. Uh, you know, that there, there are some pharmaceutical drugs that are that way, but they're so rare. And with cannabis, uh, that, kind of, uh, um, that kind of setup can be really, really difficult. One of the most difficult things about that in a dispensary is trying to get, uh, get patients and customers to understand that 
that it's not us trying to cover for a lack of knowledge here. It's, try, it's us trying to make sure that patients that come in uh, understand that really anything can happen when they use cannabis. Um, and, and when it comes to like using a 2.5 milligram uh, dose and using that and waiting two hours, we telling them that it's possible they might not feeling any, anything then, uh, and then them kind of thinking to themselves, well, maybe I can just uh, start at five or start at 10 uh, mm-hmm. without knowing that that might be a problematic thing is really tough. Uh, telling patients to keep journals, telling patients to to follow what their body's telling them and, and experiment uh, in a very, very minimalist way to be able to discover how cannabis affects them is a is a tough thing to train patients on, especially when they're when they've gone through the whole rigmarole of getting a medical card. Uh, they come into the dispensary, they have uh, they have some information from their doctor. Uh, um, uh, and usually doctors don't give them as much information as you guys do, which I really appreciate. The, um, but they come in and they expect a, a very short conversation and to leave with something very specific that they had in mind. And usually that's not the case. Yeah, there's lots of choices, even so when they many. have an idea of what they're looking for. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I can definitely relate to that because oftentimes um, it, you can't really make the jump from understanding how cannabis affects you until you actually try it. And um, a lot of people really want to know beforehand what that is going to be like. And so we totally agree with that kind of strategy of, of telling people to start with this dose that probably it, in some people won't cause any, any symptoms, any side effects. They won't even realize that they've taken it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to actually wait the full period of time, six to eight hours before trying it again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we tell them to take that dose for a number of times over a course of days um, yeah. sometimes because the way that it works in your body is that it can build up. And so, you know, you, and different products have different kind of results in different people. And so it really is kind of this, it's almost personalized. And totally. um, I think that's hard for people to initially um, really get on board with. But then at the same time, there's this other positive side to it, which is that you really do get to figure out what works for you. And, um, you know, oftentimes you're able to use, we have patients that are able to use at least like the lowest possible dose to treat their symptoms um, with, you know, with whatever product they're using. And so that, um, that kind of in the long term, I think works out well for a lot of people and they find that they have less side effects with cannabis um, than with a lot of other medications that they may have used to control their symptoms or their medical condition. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about the the types of products that you have in this, the dispensary. Um, I get this question a lot here um, at Holos and it's, really, it's regarding um, how they're all tested. And yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. if you could speak to the difference between a product that you buy in a dispensary and a product that you might buy um, outside of a dispensary that contains CBD. So these two different types of cannabis products, um, how, how they're um, regulated differently. Yeah, there's a really big uh, regulatory difference between those two different things. Uh, here in the state of Colorado, the the nomenclature difference, and this is becoming very national, the, the terminology here. Uh, hemp versus cannabis as two different kinds of plants, um, or really mm-hmm. hemp versus uh, marijuana, I think is the is the more strict uh, nomenclature, uh, mm-hmm. is really not anything to do with their species. It's not anything to do with the, the way that they're grown or way that they're cared for. It's really about the end results and what their testing levels are at. I think it's 0.3% THC um, is the limit. Uh, that's really the the designating difference between something that is a THC marijuana plant and something that's a a CBD uh, related hemp plant. And so Mm -hmm. those big differences can be really, really uh, sticky in the hemp hemp side of uh, the industry here in Colorado, at least there is, uh, there is little to no requirements 
for those companies to do third-party testing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them elect to do their own testing, which is excellent. Uh, uh, they send off to a lab and the lab gives them results that are batch-based. And um, that's a really important thing for a lot of uh, hemp producers to spend the time and money to, to do because it's a really big part of legitimizing their, their medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they're not required to on the marijuana side on, on the cannabis side of stuff, the THC side, um, that is regulated to be tested, uh, by batch every single time those testing results are done by uh, state licensed third party labs. And then those labs have to have to give a thumbs up and thumbs down based, based upon certain requirements that exist there. Yeah. So this is super interesting and really important for people to understand um, that when they go to buy a CBD product outside of a dispensary in Colorado, that product has not been scrutinized by regulations. It's not been held to the same regulatory standards as a product you would buy in a dispensary. Um, And we run into this all the time. Um, For example, here at Holos, our products, the Kanakoru line, we do test those products to the same extent that the products are tested in a dispensary. So in other words, um, our products could be sold in a dispensary. We, we, we uh, uh, adhere to all of those regulations, but a lot of companies don't because they don't have to. We want to set the standard and we think that safety and and education and knowledge are, are incredibly important. So we want people to know what they're getting. And we post all of those um, testing profiles, the certificates of analysis online on our website. So you can go and check those out. Um, next, I kind of wanted to ask you about the changes that have happened in the industry, um, both related to COVID and also just things that have come down the pipe. Yeah, the- there, there have been a lot of changes that seem like they're related to COVID that, that came about just kind of coincidentally by that timeline. Well, the, one of the biggest thing is delivery. I helped uh, stand up the first delivery operation that we have here in Colorado, which uh, this year is it's starting with medical and the next year recreational delivery is going to be possible. But uh, um, working really hard on that, making sure that medical delivery was going to be something that was available first was something that was really important to a lot of people uh, that I worked with, to me personally as well, in making sure that the state rules reflected that. Because really, medical delivery is is about necessity. It's about patients who have mobility issues. But actually, the timing of that couldn't have worked out uh, uh, better because we ended up getting our uh, delivery license for the dandelion at, uh, uh, you know, in uh, in March. And so we started doing delivery at that time. And then uh, the bigger parts of COVID hit basically just at the same time. So a lot of people were assuming that it was in reaction to COVID, like like there was a new rule that that made it happen. But actually, that rule was passed in 2019. Um, uh, It was one of the past... uh, to allow that stuff. And so the rulemaking all happened in the end of 2019 to allow in the beginning of 2020 for it to occur. So that's right. one of them. The, the, uh, uh, there's, there are some other things that happened very, very quickly. And um, just like everything else in the industry, they came and went and uh, are changing and are nebulous. Uh, but uh, curbside pickup was something that wasn't possible before mm-hmm. uh, COVID-19 in, in the state of Colorado. All the, all the business has to happen inside the dispensary and it can't be visible from outside of the dispensary. But with right. COVID-19 happening, there was a brief window of time where a lot of curbside delivery was being allowed, where people would be able to kind of drive up and then have somebody come out to their car to help them. But uh, um, the differing regula- regulating bodies had so many specific rules on how to do that stuff that it became kind of difficult for a lot of places to follow those rules to the T. Kind of like how you'll, how you'll see different places like in Denver, uh, who are kind of late to the game on, on enforcing the, the mask requirements, etc. Uh, just in the same way in the cannabis industry, getting that information out is a very difficult thing for regulators to do. Oh, yeah. So is curbside pickup still um, part of the 
the executive order that that allowed for um, telemedicine, or is that is that no longer an no, option I, for patients? It it is an option, and it's a, okay. but the problem is is that it's an option in very specific locations. For example, in in the city of Boulder, um, mm-hmm. there the curbside pickup is allowed, but no cash handling or exchanging can be done outside of the dispensary stills dispensary still which kind of nullifies curbside delivery because at, at that point you have to come into the store anyway to pay. Um, right. And that makes it, makes it a very difficult thing. And, and it, it all gets super complicated too, especially in, a, in an episode where we're talking about what to expect when you go into a dispensary. People, people often are really surprised at the, at the strange layouts that some dispensaries have where there might be a waiting room. And then once you're done with the waiting room, you get beeped in through a door and now there's a line that you have to stand in. Um, all these different things are not are not uh, to kind of cattle or corral people. Um, it's all it's all especially the older dispensaries. It's all just how how they had to do things in order to satisfy all the crazy regulations that are there. So right. it, with COVID, especially in the city of Boulder, they in order to satisfy the regulations that are there, they have to kind of um, kind of get really specific with how they're operating in, in different ways. And sometimes mm-hmm. that makes rules. Uh, um, kind of come up out of nowhere that are kind of the result of two rules interacting with each other that, that can make things really inconvenient or seem kind of silly and nonsensical. But in the state of Colorado, we really embrace regulations. It's really what's keeping this, uh, this industry um, as visually legitimate as possible, which is not just important for, for like tourists that come in who want to be able to participate and are hoping it's still here, but for medical patients who need it. They, they, need, they need their dispensary to not shut down. They need it to be a legitimate place that they can go to and rely on. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. And um, it's interesting that you you bring that up about two rules that interact with each other and kind of mm-hmm. make it more complicated because that is, to my understanding, is kind of what has happened with the rollout of delivery for the medical um, dispensaries as well, right? Because there's some, um, even though it's legal statewide, there's some kind of like way that local governments can can opt in or out is that yeah, correct mm-hmm. that's okay. exactly correct yeah so this the state rules require local opt-in so um so once it became legal in the state uh for two full months uh, there really wasn't a peep from any of the local uh, regulators on what they were doing um and because of that there wasn't a place in colorado where you could actually operate that way now in city of boulder they actually had a rule from a really long time ago that said if somebody was signed up as a caregiver um, then that caregiver could deliver to them and i think that rule is so old that it predates uh medical dispensaries showing up which is which was in 2009 and um uh when approached about those rules the city of boulder had a had a had a perspective on how they wanted to do that stuff which is how you're seeing there's now three licenses in the city of Boulder that can do medical cannabis delivery. Uh, there's certain ways that the city has a, has a lot for opting in. Um, but if a, if a local jurisdiction, whether it be a county or a city, if they stay quiet on it, then, then there's nothing, then, then it's not ready yet. They have to say, yes, it's legal here too, in order for delivery to occur. And that's really complicated with delivery because delivery um, across jurisdictions can get really sticky. And so mm-hmm. making sure that the, that the rules are all set up in the right way so that if you have a dispensary in one jurisdiction and there isn't an opt-in in the next jurisdiction, that you know how to interpret that rule and, and know whether or not you can deliver into that next jurisdiction. Very difficult yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it's like the, compl- the, the complexities of, of medical cannabis are not just with the plant itself. It's mm-hmm. like yep. everything surrounding it. <laughs> exactly, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that's, that makes me kind of think about whether or not you have the opportunity to have conversations with patients who become interested in advocacy and these kind of like local politics, state politics, because of their experience in the medical cannabis world. Yeah, it's, we do have a lot of patients that we do outreach to. And 
um, when I when I go speak to a group of patients, you, uh, sometimes they're like uh, like specific kind of uh, Ill, ailment or therapy support groups uh, mm -hmm. that are interested in having somebody from the cannabis industry come and talk to them. When I go out and talk to them, the the most interesting reaction is also the most common, which is I, I had no idea about uh, X, Y, or Z, and now I want to get involved with how to do this or how to do mm -hmm. that. And sometimes that's a, like a, like a, in support groups, usually the uh, the able-bodied partner of the patient is there to be able to represent that patient. And they're really willing to do quite a lot of, of hard work to get, uh, get regulations to make sense and to improve access to people, which is why mm -hmm. um, delivery was such a big deal. Uh, there are so many patients that, that are immobile, that are homebound, that can't get out and be able to do that stuff. And of course, we've had transporting caregivers in the rules for, for several years, and, uh, and, and a patient who, who is homebound can get certified that way by a doctor, get a transporting caregiver, and then that caregiver can shop on their behalf at the dispensaries. But that's not a feasible option for everybody. Yeah. Not everybody I, has someone no. <laughs> that, that's willing to do that. Yeah, exactly. Which is it's Not a only that, it's a commitment, but it's a process in terms of the bureaucracy and the paperwork. Absolutely. And it takes at least 30 minutes for people who are computer savvy to fill out all that paperwork in order to make that that legit, that exactly. to allow that person mm -hmm. to be the caregiver. And so, yeah, we do it a lot um, in our practice for patients that that are homebound, that that are, um, you know, they, their, mobi their mobility is challenged and for whatever reason um, they can't go to the dispensary. Um, and so we, we have seen that as, as a huge kind of step forward in allowing Absolutely. delivery for people and kind of in, in the same, um, the same way, um, what has happened now in the state of Colorado, allowing medical cannabis to be recommended via telemedicine mm -hmm. has really helped us to increase access for people who have mobility issues to begin with, um, who couldn't, who had difficulty coming into our office in the first place. And so we've definitely seen um, an increase in, in people who are very ill and or un, are disabled and unable to leave their house. Um, and so, so it's, it's just really interesting to me how through the patient kind of network, through people getting involved, we're able to kind of um, help to advance the policy, um, which, you know, in some, in some sense, you think, well, this should have been kind of written in, in the beginning, but we have to remember that this is a totally new, this is new, you oh, know what absolutely. I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's one of those really kind of fascinating industries where people um, and patients have, they, they can have an impact. Yes. Um, yeah. So I they, think they can have a huge impact. You know, one thing that uh, that really stuck out to me during the rulemaking for delivery was one uh, uh, we had a, a chance to ask some of our um, some of our uh, uh, mobility uh, disabled patients, our physically disabled patients, uh, for input on what they would like to see out of delivery. And there was a really interesting uh, piece of feedback that we got about how uh, how patients who are in wheelchairs. Uh, uh, might be able to make it to the door and answer it and open it. But there's often a situation where patients uh, get a doorbell or, or hear something and they leave instructions for Amazon to just leave it on the porch. Because once they open the door, if they're physically disabled, that kind of uh, is inviting whoever is on the other door in, whether or not uh -huh. they're, they're uh, benign or malicious, you know, have right, right, right. A, safe, a safety issue. Possibly. Exactly. And I didn't even think mm -hmm. about that. You know, when, w before we sat down at the table and brought that stuff up, which unfortunately it, it didn't get much, much push in the, in the room when we were doing the rulemaking, but uh, mm -hmm. that's a really big deal for patients. And it's something that you just don't think about uh, as, as, a, as someone who doesn't have to live with physical disability, you don't think about that. So right. patient input is such an incredible and important piece about 
rulemaking, about deciding how how to set up a dispensary, and really kind of the local community's approach to how medical cannabis can be. That stuff is really key, and getting uh, patients to be involved is is a tall ask, especially if they if they're dealing with enough on their own, you know. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I can imagine that being a difficulty even for people um, going into a dispensary who have certain medical conditions. Um, you know, even people who, who are dealing with PTSD or mm-hmm. um, autistic spectrum disorders. I mean, you know, they there's often difficulty kind of interacting in public for whatever reason. Um, you know, and people really need the option to be able to access this in a way that doesn't put them at risk in whatever that risk is for them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of been our push as well. And it's just been, um, you know, it's, I was talking to Dr. Cohen about this yesterday, that it's fascinating that it has taken, um, you know, a global pandemic and public health crisis and economic crisis and on and on for a lot of these things to really get pushed forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I haven't lived long enough to know like if this is how yeah. the world works all the time, but to right. me, it's a little ironic. No, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, the, the kind of push for these kinds of needs are, are really, really interesting too, because the side benefits are hopefully the things that keep it around. Telemedicine is so important in the state of Colorado because uh, people who live in the city of Boulder are really fortunate to have Holos Health there because not every city has uh, medical cannabis doctors that are there that are working in a very specific way whose primary goal is to help patients and get that stuff to get get uh, cannabis medicine to work properly for them. Um, and so people who live on uh, in uh, in medical cannabis physician deserts, uh, mm-hmm. uh, telemedicine might be the only way. And so that's yes. a really big part of that. You know, getting uh, the other thing too about you know about access for patients who can't go into dispensaries because dispensaries, uh, not by design, but sometimes because of the way that regulations are set up, can actually be very loud places too. Like mm-hmm. uh, this is the only room that we can actually put the bud room in, and this room is really echoey. So unfortunately, if somebody comes in there and they're excited about cannabis and they maybe talk a little bit loud, everybody's going to be kind of drowned out. So the, that is a really important part of that. But making sure that patients. Uh, come in with that kind of a context and are treated like patients is really on bud tender training and making sure that the dispensary is set up right that way. And that, you know, that speaks a lot towards what, you know, what patients can look for in a dispensary. Um, if, if, uh, if a patient goes to a dispensary and they're not being treated like a patient, like, uh, and, and, and that's their desire to be treated like yeah. a patient, then that's, that's not a really uh, well set up, set up dispensary. At least it's, it, it might be an excellent recreational dispensary, but if it's not able to help medical patients in that context without giving them medical advice, of course, Mm-hmm. Um, that then, then they're in a, then they're in a situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was actually going to be my next question is like, what are, what are patients to look for in as a sign for, you know, a, a good dispensary and somewhere that they would frequent. Um, I hear all the time patients are like, I had a bad experience in this dispensary. And mm-hmm. I said, well, there's a lot of them, so you can go somewhere else. Right. You know? Exactly. And, <laughs> so that what are a, those that things? That is a wonderful thing about Colorado. <laughs> Plenty of yeah. dispensaries. Yeah. Um, no, Looking for the right thing in a dispensary is is really personalized. It's just like cannabis itself. It's uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what might be a right dispensary for me may definitely not be a right the right dispensary for somebody uh, very similar to me. So mm-hmm. um, besides, of course, when you go into a dispensary and you're talking to the staff, the staff should be knowledgeable. They should be willing to get somebody if they don't know the answer to your question, um, and they should be uh, ready to help you. Um, if a patient goes into a dispensary and the dispensary doesn't have enough time, the dispensary should be trying to think of a way to be able to uh, help that patient uh, uh, either remotely or have them come back during a certain time. Um, uh, but the primary, uh, the primary goal is to make sure that that patient is helped right there and then too. So um, 
if a if a blood tender doesn't have training on how to how to provide healthcare, um, or if they don't have training on how to prevent giving medical advice, because because me, uh, dispensary mm-hmm. workers are not medical professionals, and mm-hmm. we can't tell you uh, how many milligrams to take, how how to, how to how to titrate it up or off, or or what you should be doing with the other medications that you're using concurrently. Uh, right. which is, it's so important for everybody to know, just to toss it in here, that cannabis, uh, that it's a myth that cannabis doesn't interact with other medications. Cannabis is a drug. And just like all drugs, it has the potential to interact with medications. So yes. talking to your pharmacist is a really important part of cannabis therapy. Um, mm-hmm. But when patients come into dispensary, they, they need to, they need to have a butt tender who's able to give them healthcare and not medical advice. Um, if you, if you, if it checks both those boxes, you're, you're at least 60% of your way to knowing that this is the right dispensary for you. The other big thing is is the variety. So so product selection at a dispensary. Um, it, there's so many things that dispensaries carry. There's so many different kinds of cannabis. There's so many different active ingredients in cannabis that might be highlighted in a product. Um, if you go into a dispensary and it doesn't carry the thing that you're looking for, and they're not willing to special order for you, or they can't, maybe some some sort of contract prevents them from doing that, um, then automatically that's probably not the right dispensary for you. Something that I noticed that a lot of patients don't realize when they go into a dispensary, they assume that this particular dispensary has everything, and they don't realize, got it, that one thing that they're looking for, this particular dispensary might not 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 have ever carried. So it might yes. be a good idea for them to to go down the road or or ask that dispensary to look into their into their catalog to see if maybe another one of the locations carries that product. That's a really important thing. And then also dispensaries will go out of their way on the back ends, like between, uh, between us and you guys at Holos Health to make sure that we have products that you guys know that patients need as well. That, that, that is a really big part of making sure that that assortment of selections there, because it's very easy for a dispensary, even if it does have a medical side to accidentally cater to recreational customers in both ways and forget mm. about the medical needs that exist there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are really good tips. And that's a lot of what we do at Holos Health as well. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of what I do on a daily basis is helping people to find that one product that they're looking for mm-hmm. in that dispensary yeah. that's closest to their house. Because cannabis is very regional. The medicines mm-hmm. are regional. There's some brands that are all over the state or multiple states and multiple dispensaries all over the place. And then there's mm-hmm. other products that are a lot more specific. Um, and so it is one of those things that you kind of have to, it's part of the education. I guess Absolutely. Of, of, yeah. of medical cannabis and, be, and, and becoming a patient. Um, mm-hmm. I know we're, we are really running out of time, but I was hoping you might have any, wonder if you have any like, le- like departing thoughts or questions that we didn't get to that you want to talk about. Um, let's see here. I, one thing that we talk to uh, both recreational customers and patients about a lot in dispensaries is testing percentages. And so people get hung up on, on the testing percentage on, on a particular strain very, very frequently. And it's really hard being from the dispensary perspective and telling people that, that testing percentages um, aren't, uh, it, the, way that, the way that we'd like to say it is that they're only a soft indicator of strength. They're not like alcohol percentages where you see 12 and a half uh, ABV and uh, the percentage there tells you exactly how strong this particular liquor is. Um, in cannabis, that percentage is only a small picture of what it is, besides the fact that it can't show you the whole, uh, it, the, the resolution of, of what, how much percentage is there. The confidence of that number is lower than it would be with alcohol. Um, mm. So educating mm. uh, guests and customers about, about what that looks like and what those differences are is really important. But people also come in all the time saying, I want a sativa because I want to be, a, uh, be wakeful. But a good bud tender will actually take you through the process and tell you a little bit more about the nature of the cannabis. It's a little old school these days to only talk about sativa indica as a spectrum that all cannabis lives on. Because in 
post-legalization, we have all these strains that are designed by, by PhD horticulturalists. Mm-hmm. And these strains are so specific. They, they, have, they have such a, such a specific nature to them. Like golden goat or flow, just calling those high sativas, they're going to be very wakeful. And that's the, that's the end of the story, is just doing them such a, such a disjustice, especially if a patient's coming in looking for a particular um, uh, uh, help with a particular way. Uh, telling patients about how golden goat has, has helped some of our other patients help with their stomach issues can be a lot more effective of a conversation as opposed to, I want a sativa that is, that's as high testing as possible. Um, bud tenders are always looking out for people's best interest in that way. And, uh, and that's another indicator of a dispensary when they're, when they're willing to have those kinds of conversations with patients and customers. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really, uh, like a whole new can of worms that I think we need to do another episode on at some point is the terminology Mm -hmm. and the kind of transition away from the old terminology, indica versus sativa into the new Mm -hmm. kind of chemovar, I guess is how a lot of people are trying to describe yeah. it. And um, that's a, mm-hmm. we're, we're not even going to go there right now. It's, it's right, so yeah. complicated and it, that's interesting. A, that's a deep well. It is a very deep well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation to have with you. And um, I really hope that people who listen are able to take away something that benefits them in their life. And um, if people are looking for uh, more education, on medical cannabis, um, we can put together some links for you and that'll be in the podcast notes so that you can um, get some some good resources there to kind of continue this conversation. And um, Mike, once again, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking with you again in the future. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate your feedback, so if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, leave a comment, or if you want more information, you can find us online at www.holoshealth.org. That's Holos, H-O-L-O-S, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, dot org. Thanks. See you next episode.